Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman, and child that calls this church family home to be a part of Connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. If you've got Bibles or Bible apps, we will be in Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. That's where we're headed. But before we go there, there's two quick things I want to share with you. One is a conference that we've hosted every year for the last couple of years. It's been called Hope for the Journey. And it's a conference that especially equips people with trauma-informed training with foster care and kinship care and adoptive care. But honestly, if you've ever related to anybody that has trauma, perceived trauma, that would be all of us. This is a tremendous opportunity to engage in what does it look like where I might be seeing actions or attitude And I might perceive that as like defiance or something like that. Maybe it's just something developmental. Maybe it's something deeper going on. This conference, I can tell you, knocked me on, let's just say, knocked me away before I, you know, speak ahead of, I should. But it absolutely blew me away last year. Um, And so we have it May 6th coming up. We host it. Uh, It's a simulcast, so we're kind of one of the satellite locations for it. Uh, Teachers. Anybody volunteering with kids or youth or that has kids, these are tremendous resources. One day, uh, Saturday, May 6th from 8 to 4 here at the Windsor campus. And then also, um, whether you have kids or not, there's something you need to know about Timberline Windsor. There is tremendous ministry and fruit going on right now in other parts of this building. Like we gather here and we have, we have worship and we have sermon series and, and we may or may not know of the tremendous fruit that's going on in our children's and our student ministries. You may not recognize that. You may show up on a weekend. Maybe you don't have kids. That's not something you know is going on in the other half of this building. But trust me, we do. We know. And oftentimes people want to know, when they want to know, hey, how's the ministry going? They want to know numbers. Give me numbers. And, and you know what? We could give you numbers because it seems like every time we add new modulars or new space, the, those spaces quickly get filled and we need more. And we're constantly doing that. Kids showing up, bringing their friends, so uh, coming back for more. So we have numbers, but I'm not going to give you numbers because what is so compelling to me are these teams. What's going on in the other half of this building right now is not childcare, it's ministry. It's, it's people discipling other people and age kind of just breaks down and there is such care and such fruit in our children's ministry and our student ministry. We are constantly having uh, things like fun events and facility upgrades and expansions. There's just life, all because no one loves your kids more than Jesus. And we follow his lead. So I want you to, to, whether you have kids or not, take this week, next week, check out those spaces. Talk to somebody that serves in one of those areas, children's ministry on the weekends or during the week, or student ministry. They will tell you what's going on. And so I wanted to take a little bit of time on behalf of this church family with all this great stuff. And we want to take a moment to really cheer on those in student ministry and children's ministry. If you're involved in either of those during the week or the weekend in any capacity, would you stand? 
children's ministry, student ministry, in any capacity. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Amazing, amazing, amazing ministry going on there. All right, Mark 2, 18 through 22. Now, John's disciples, John the Baptist, and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and the worse, a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. First off, what are the disciples of John the Baptist and the Pharisees doing lumped into the same circles? John, he's the cousin of Jesus. His disciples apparently stuck tightly together after John was arrested likely viewing this practice of fasting as a way to deepen a person's awareness of their sin and inducing repentance. That was what John and his teaching was all about. All of this in their, the spirit of their highly self-denying leader. Here's the irony, though. Despite the primary purpose of John the Baptist being to prepare the way for Jesus, to prepare the way for the Messiah, these guys even after their leader was taken away, they still remained separate from Jesus and his group. They didn't join the party. Then there's the Pharisees. <laughs> oh, the Pharisees. Mackenzie talked a bit about them last week. These guys take legalistic religiosity and put it on unparalleled levels. If fasting is good, then legalistic fasting is better. If Mosaic law commanded fasting only once a year on the Day of Atonement, as we read in Leviticus 16.29, a book I'm, all, I'm sure we're all very familiar with, right? <laughs> then weekly fasting is better. In fact, why stop there? If weekly fasting is a good thing, then we'll fast on Mondays and Thursdays and then tell everyone who doesn't follow our lead that they are subject to the judgment of God. These guys didn't require food in order to give them the power to enforce the other 613 extra biblical rules. They would have undoubtedly fasted every day of the week. These guys, Pharisees, Jesus had some serious problems with these guys. So it's pretty crazy to see these two groups of people here together, but they found a common concern or maybe even a common enemy. In a challenge to the seriousness and the somberness and the devotion of Jesus' followers. This new movement of Jesus was threatening each of their way of doing life and faith. And as we heard last week, Jesus takes responding to their challenges very seriously. It seems to be a pretty big deal to these people that the followers of Jesus aren't fasting. In fact, how do they know they're not fasting? 
You don't know if I'm fasting right now. I'm not. (laughs) I don't know if you're fasting. That is, unless you make a really big deal about it and make sure everybody else around you knows how holy and righteous and self-denying you are, I'm in a period of fasting. I wonder if Jesus had this scene in mind when he later preached his great Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then a few moments later, he says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who sees in secret." And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is saying, look, fasting is a humble devotion between you and me. Don't do it so publicly that other people are seeing you and taking note of your practice of fasting. And this isn't the appropriate time. Like I said earlier, fasting in Mosaic law was only commanded once a year, but it would often be practiced in times of of high pressure, high intensity, and desperation and crisis. Jesus is saying, oh, there is a time for it, and this ain't it. Let's look at that a bit more. Jesus doesn't merely dismiss this challenge that he gets from these people. He answers the challenge about John's followers and the Pharisees with a parable. In fact, three. He's so often talks in terms of everyday life. And he says, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Can you picture a wedding celebration, let alone the multi-day wedding celebrations that these would be in this culture? Can you picture choosing that as an appropriate time to fast? (laughs) It's crazy, right? I mean, in great care, and intentionality and undoubtedly a bunch of money and joy, in joyous celebration, the hosts would prepare these meals, these feasts in celebration, probably spent a bunch of time and money just getting it perfectly right. And for a person to show up and say, I'm gonna withhold. I'm just choosing this time to be in a spirit of fasting. I'm just so spiritual. (laughs) Read the room, man. It's not just inappropriate, it's rude. You're invited to a celebration. Join in. This, Jesus is saying, is not the time for mourning or holding back. It's a time for joy and celebration and fun without regret. Listen, fasting does have its place. It's not all fun and games. He says, there will come a time where these guys are gonna fast. In fact, there's like a indirect foreshadowing of his death here when he says, there will come a time when the bridegroom is taken away from them. In fact, in that day, they'll find themselves desperate, probably won't even want to eat. It's because it's not all fun and games 
there should be fun and games. Look, as I said, there is a time to focus on the cost of discipleship, the weightiness of our mission. And we've talked a lot about that, following Jesus on his terms, recognizing that it's gonna cost us something to follow Jesus. There's also a time to focus on the joy and the celebration, the new things that God is doing right in front of us. Jesus is saying, this is one of those times. Walking through life with me as these disciples are, this is one of those times. And for those of us in the Revelation study, uh, Jesus's connection here between himself as the bridegroom and his people as the bride, that has great eschatological fulfillment. You've got serious concerns and issues you're facing right now in life. God gets that. The people of his church get that. But here's the point. Don't then take it one step further and find yourself just indefinitely stuck to the point that you become kind of ashamed of fun and lightheartedness. It seems less spiritual, less godly to live a life like that. And by extension, you become rigid to any new approaches to ministry or new relationships or or new people that you might say hi to on a weekend that you haven't introduced yourself to before. See, we of all people should have every reason to find all kinds of opportunities for joy and celebration and creativity and giddiness. It doesn't mean we just cast off restraints and become pure hedonists. That's like a reckless pleasure seeker. But my goodness, do followers of Jesus have unique and valuable opportunities to exude joy, to not be what Pastor Jeff Lucas always calls the frozen chosen, (laughs) but people with life and joy. We have every reason to exude joy and celebration and fun with no regrets. That's a phrase I keep saying, and it's, it's intentional, it's deliberate. I'll get there soon. So there are two other brief parables that Jesus draws from in his response to this challenge. He says, patching old garments with new cloth and putting new wine into old wineskins are both just as ridiculous and wasteful as fasting at a wedding. The new patch shrinks and thus rips the garment, making a worse tear. And then the new wine expands as it matures and and bursts the wineskin, loses all the wine. But Jesus isn't just metaphor rich here, tripling down on on all these images. These next two points take his, his response even further than the first one did. He's expanding his point with this. While the first one, the bridegroom and the bride and and rejoicing may have started off like kind of like lighten up guys. It's not all gloom and doom. These points make a much larger point. It's gonna be on the screens. Jesus's new way isn't merely reforming the old. It is something entirely new. The old way can't hold it. These two parables of the garment and the wineskin, they rang out like a proclamation of a new world order. Let it be known. The old ways of doing things won't work. Everything is changing. Jesus does not 
exist and fit as just a patch on an old system. Just reforming the old way of doing things based on Mosaic law. He's doing something entirely new. Get on board, ascetic followers of John and legalistic Pharisees. Don't miss the new thing that God is doing. Don't miss the party. No wonder he echoes in Revelation 21.5, Behold, I am making all things new, fresh. And then Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, hasn't just been reformed, it's gone. This is what baptism illustrates. We die to our old self and raise to walk in newness of life. That means the same for your system of life, your old way of doing things. Jesus does not exist as just a patch, an add-on, an accessory to your way of life. Like the unshrunken patch on an old garment or like new wine in old wineskins, Jesus will burst out of your old way of doing things, of your old value system, finding ways of fulfillment and joy. The old way of living just can't hold the new wine Jesus is pouring into us. You know, maybe if Jesus were walking around in today's terms, it, this metaphor, this, this parable would have been in like the in, incompatibility of running a new software system on a 20-year-old desktop. I bet he'd also find a way to make some joke about how Apple changes the inputs on their devices so that we need to buy new accessories every two years. Anyone that wants to hold on to their old model, their old way of doing things, will lose it, Jesus says. It is not compatible with what I'm gonna pour into your life. But what I'm pouring into your life is something entirely new, entirely different. Join in the party. Wineskins and garments, Jesus' way of Doing things isn't merely reforming the old, it's something entirely new. If, if you're a note taker in your Bibles, right by today's passage, Mark 2, 18 through 22, I want you to write Acts chapter 10 and then Galatians 3.28. Acts 10 and Galatians 3.28 next to these verses in Mark because all this talk about Jesus doing something entirely new is actually a big time foreshadow of what is going to happen in the next generation. What all of this, the new wine, the new stuff that Jesus is doing, what it's going to lead to. In the negative, what I'm doing is not conducive with the old way of doing things. And in the positive, what I am doing is entirely new, unprecedented, different. And especially in circles of faith, how do we tend to do with new and different? <laughs> yeah, we struggle with it. Struggle to get on board. In Acts chapter 10, God dramatically appears to Peter in a vision and lets him know that, that the message that has first come to the people of Israel is now gonna be extended beyond Judaism to the Gentiles. And most of us should thank God that it is not being ethnically Jewish ourselves because we can be included now because of that new thing that Jesus was doing where the community of Israel had been the means by which God was bringing his message to the world. 
And the people had to become observant Jews in order to get that message and be welcomed into the community. Now, God is doing a new thing, bursting out from beyond that old system, reaching outward in a fresh way. To John's disciples and the Pharisees, this is an entirely new thing. Don't miss it. Don't miss out. Maybe you've heard us say this before, like maybe last week at the end of the services. This is why we need to make sure that the message and the posture of the church is that we want all kinds of people to feel like they belong here, to know that they have a place here with us. Then believe, then catch the message in the life of Jesus in a real and a personal way, and then behave. If you mess up that order, like make people behave a certain way before they can ever be a part of the church or certainly before they could ever fully embrace their beliefs, if you mess up that order, it's like making people become observant Jews before they can ever hear the message of the gospel. Paul, a former legalistic Jew himself, hit his point of turning, pivoting. The Bible calls this repenting. And he joined the party of the new way of Jesus. And in Galatians 3, Paul now takes a, point, a clear point in this new era. 3.28, he says, there is now no distinction between Jew and Gentile. God's done away with that. That's the old way of doing things. And he burst out of that system. And there's a ton of more New Testament passages that you could cover on this, but two hyperlinks there, Acts 10 and Galatians 3, I think is good for starters. And those of you that are using our bonus resource questions together as a connection group, you can go deeper on this. Jesus's new way isn't just reforming the old. It's something entirely new. Before we end, geez, Mel's going short today. <laughs> Let's make sure we take a good long look and learn an important lesson from the disciples of John. The Pharisees had all kinds of issues, and, and we'll deal with those in greater detail as we go through this series. But needless to say, don't be like them. Don't miss the heart like they did. But, but these guys, John's guys, they were positioned with front row seats for the Messiah. John had pointed directly to Jesus. John was Jesus's cousin. John baptized Jesus. And he said, hey, if you guys like me, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. <laughs> Listen to this. John 3, when directly to his disciples, John the Baptist says this. He's talking to these, these guys, these disciples. He says, hey guys, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine, John says, is now complete. He, Jesus, must increase. I must decrease. Wow. 
If you're a note taker, you might want to write John 3 also next to this passage because it appears that when Jesus is talking to John's disciples now later, after John has been arrested, he's using their former master's own words. Hey guys, I'm the bridegroom. You're missing the party. This is not the time to, to separate yourselves and withstand, or withhold yourself from the celebration. This is a time to be with me. Not to be John's disciples, but to be a part of this new way of doing things. And John directly said, I am not the Christ. He is. He must increase. I must decrease. And it seems like here in Mark, they missed it. They're missing out on the party because they are so stuck in their old way of doing things. Church, let's see if we can take a lesson from John's disciples and in a way, let's lighten up, Christians. Christians can get quite stuck and stuffy unnecessarily. This may apply more to some of us than others, which is always true with any message point. But when it is a season where God is doing something entirely new, let's join in. Let's join in the party and not grumble because this new thing that God is doing is threatening our old, tired wineskins. Now, don't twist it. I'm not advocating that we cast off all the timeless works and practices that God has clearly given us throughout the whole of this book. Actually, what we're talking about today is much more simple than that. Just don't get stuck. Join the party, the points of celebration that should be characterized within the Christian life, a follower of Jesus. Don't miss the party because you're just so ascetic, so, so self-denying, so Puritan. There are times in the Christian life for self-denial, and there's times for fun, new things, new relationships, maybe people around you, you haven't met yet. We, TW, Timberline Windsor, we encounter all this in light of a sort of culture setting phrase around here. We say, fun church, serious mission. That is such a compelling phrase for me and for many others because it reminds us that what we're about is very important. The weight of the mission that we take is very serious. And sometimes that weight can just feel so heavy and massive. I'm so thankful that we're a part of that mission. You heard Chris say earlier that, that there are many great Bible-believing, Jesus-loving churches. We're part of that. It doesn't ride and fall just with the successes and struggles of this church family. And that phrase, fun church, serious mission, it's also helpful as a slice of humble pie hey, don't take yourself so seriously. Tap into joy and new things as often as you can. Recognize that there are other people around you that, that they too have their habits and hangups, their successes and their stresses. Isn't it cute when I rhyme like that? It's like my favorite definition of Christian humility. 
Christian humility, Christ-like humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It's thinking of ourselves less. Fun Church Serious Mission does that for me. It, it, It makes me think like that. It's persuasive to me. And you know what? It's what I'd love people that drive by this facility right here at this stoplight on Crossroads Boulevard. It's what I'd want them to know about this church family because, man, that's compelling. Fun church, serious mission. I'd want it to be a a first impression when people drive onto these grounds. So we've got an installation pending for a window decal. It's it's pending good warm temperature, so it might be a while. But... (laughs) But we're, we're sharing this this weekend because I think God's timing here is just perfect. That we're gonna have a window decal that, that as people drive by or pull in or, or they stop at that stoplight and they glance over, there's, there's one of those window decals that, that you can see from the outside, but then it's, you can still see out from the inside. And I want this weekend, this message, to kind of be like a story behind the decal. That every time you and I drive on this property, we remember fun church, serious mission. There's a time for the weightiness of our calling and there's a time for fun. Jesus modeled that for us. And here's the crazy thing. That decal that I'm talking about almost didn't happen. There's a quick story I wanna share with you. I had, I had seen, like I said, places around town, like Windsor High School, that, that when you drive up, the windows have this cool decal that you could see it. It kind of improved the curb appeal. And let's just be real, we live in a pretty boxy church here. This is a pretty boxy strip mall here. So giving this church a little more curb appeal, a little facelift, maybe a first impression purpose is, is a good thing, right as people drive up. And so, so we looked into it, And we got a price quote for it. And yeah, that wasn't gonna happen. (laughs) The price was just too out of our budget. So one day on a weekday, we were deciding on that, myself and a couple of other staff members. And right out in the great hall, and it just so happened that one of my friends, that's actually sitting here in this service, one of my friends was eavesdropping on us. Now, it's not eavesdropping when you have the loudest voice in the history of mankind, but I'm going to call it eavesdropping. And he heard what we were saying, and it was like God had put him there at such a time. And God was saying, hey, hey, get up and stop that crazy man from from the decision that he's making to shelve this project. Be a part of making this project possible. Long story short, that's why we will have it installed there sometime soon. Someone following the nudge, open, receptive to doing something new and fresh. Someone joining in the party. I don't know what, what testimonies, what influence, what impact that, that decal might make, but it's fun to dream. Fun to dream how someone's testimony might be changed just because somebody joined the party was open to something new and fresh. Worship team, I'd love it if you came up here and joined me, and I want them to help us have a little fun, first with with a a great song, with a great message that ties to this new wine, new wineskins theme, and then with an energetic opportunity to kind of celebrate. But as they're, they're getting set here on stage, one last story. 
One last point. Fun church serious mission doesn't always entail just a bunch of fun and games, although knowing about how this church family plays and the events and our connections, it certainly does mean fun and games. But this church family knows how to have fun. And it also entails joy and celebration and healthy fun without regrets. My friend Josh McGinley, he's the uh, campus pastor at our Ascent Project campus. And, and you'll never guess who just so happens to be preaching over at the Fort Collins campus this weekend on this message. Josh is. And I bring up his name because uh, as Josh is the lead pastor at our Ascent Project campus, here's a tagline that they use when it comes to reaching uniquely. They have this, this DNA to uniquely reach young adults and college students. And about all the events that they have, they have this tagline, fun with no regrets. I love the way Ascent Project is leading the way and, and doesn't say to, to young adults and college students that, that are kind of all about a released, freeing, fun life. And, and the church doesn't say, nope, can't have any of that fun here. No. These guys are leading the way and saying, hey, we know all about that. We know how to have fun and a life full of fun in a way that you don't wake up the next morning regretting all of it. Let us show you how to do that. Let Jesus show you how to do that. I love that. And I wanna seek Jesus in my life to see if maybe I need a little more of that. So before they lead us in this powerful song, would you join me in prayer? Almighty God, there is a time to focus on the cost and the restraint and on the seriousness of discipleship. There is also a time to focus on the celebration that is right in front of us. Jesus, you're saying this is one of those times, the latter. Jesus, we hear you saying, I am doing something fresh. I'm doing something new. And your old ways of doing things won't hold it. I pray for those of us that need a sense of renewal, that you are not just a patch or an add-on to our life, but you're something entirely new. Help us be open to that. Help us see the joy in that. And especially, God, I wanna pray right now for the person for whom this is a gospel call. This is a good news salvation call that they have seen you, Jesus, and through communion or through your heart in coming after your people and showing us new life, that they would not be stuck one more moment in their old way of doing things, but you would pour new, fresh wine into their lives. We pray, God, for that person that needs to accept that, just praying the prayer, Jesus, do something new in me old way of doing things won't hold it. I pray that over hearts accepting and acknowledging and entering into the party with you, Jesus. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, for joining serving opportunities, and much more, visit TimberlineChurch.org 
slash connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.